Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Heart and Hustle podcast. I am Angelica Yard. And I am Charisma O'Keefe, and we are here every Thursday talking to you about entrepreneurship, balance, wellness, and so many other things. You can always find us on Instagram and Facebook at Heart and Hustle Podcast. And Twitter, we are at Heart Hustle Pod. You can use the hashtag BossoHard to show us what you are up to. We've had so many great listeners over the past five years start businesses, start creative projects. We love keeping up with that stuff with you. So, you know, make sure that you're tagging us. Make sure that we can see that so we can just encourage you um, because we love to see it. Yes. And so today we have a very amazing guest. We are not going into a whole bunch, but we just want you guys to get your pens and paper out because <laughs> she yes. is sharing some amazing gems and quotes and things. And so I wrote down like three specifically and one you'll probably see on our social because that's, it's a good one. It's a, I feel like it yes, needs to be. I know the artwork. one. <laughs> yes. So. I know. Same. I was really thinking the same thing because I was like, for now I'm going to write it on a post-it note because I need it for work. But yes. I I love it. Yeah. So uh, as always, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think about our guests. Send us emails at heartandhustlepodcast at gmail.com. And if you have any additional questions, you can always DM us, like Charisma said, on our socials. And we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy the interview. Bye. So we are so excited because today on the podcast, we are honored to have Jane Allen, who is the author of Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. Jane, thank you so much for being here today with us. And please let our listeners know a little bit about you and what you do. Well, thanks so much for having me. I am an author, and this is a career reinvention of sorts. It was a a long dream that I've held forever to be an author even before I realized it. And I started my career as an attorney and uh, I have training as an engineer, but never worked as an engineer and worked in the music business for a very long time and always found myself writing in every spare moment. And I finally found the courage to try my hand at writing a novel. And Black Girls Must Die Exhausted is the result of that. I took classes. I had to make sure that I knew how to craft story enough to create a novel and to really uh, embody the subject that I was most passionate about um, bringing forth to readers, which was trying to show uh, the experience and center a modern Black woman in today's society and make her story about something more than race and make it something about something more than just you know, the everyday experience, but about a woman really striving for fulfillment and becoming a seeker and trying to reach, you know, goals that are beyond what people might tell her were possible. So it was, it's been an incredible adventure. I'm so excited that I can now be talking about this novel and sharing this with, with listeners and readers. So thank you so much for having me. And um, I, I just, this is an exciting time. Of course. I absolutely love that you call it a career reinvention because I feel like a lot of people are kind of like trying to switch gears now and really thinking about like, what is important and what am I really aligned with and what do I really want to do? And I think that sometimes when we find success like in our first career, 
like sometimes we're afraid to like make that change because we're like, oh, I've already built all this up. And, you know, I'm not sure if I should like people think of it almost as like throwing it away. But I think a lot of times it's like you use everything that you've done to like move on to that next step. So I'm sure like so many things that you've already done have helped you like in being like now, you know, an actual author, you know? It's so true. I've used absolutely everything. And it's so funny. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday where I had branding experience and marketing experience that I developed after my, uh, after I transitioned from law into marketing, because that was, I just followed my passions. And every time that I came into a new experience, it called for all of the things that I had done in the past. And you would have never, I would have never guessed how that would have become relevant or how it would have been useful, but it was so useful. And with this book, I've used everything from my legal experience to my branding experience, to my marketing experience, (laughs) to absolutely everything was necessary. So it was just a confirmation that every experience I've had up to this point has played a role in my journey. All of it is important and it's equally as important to follow my passions and take that next step because there's something waiting for me, you know, in, in the next leg of the journey. So I, I'm, I love it. I'm loving it. And it's, it's really making everything more meaningful that I've experienced up to this point. I absolutely love that so much. Yeah, I definitely feel like every five episodes I talk about Second Life podcast, and this is kind of your second life of going from home, probably your fifth, but (laughs) pushing from one thing to another. Uh, So you are a Harvard-trained attorney. You're an engineer. You're a marketer. You are all of the things and more. And how have those things helped you become a better novel writer? And did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? You know, so I... I found my mom saved everything from when I was a kid and she found and so then I found she sent to me books that I had written when I was like eight years old and they it was a class project and we had to our teacher wrote out for us uh, our we had to write a story and she formed for us a book in actual physical form as part of the project. And it was something so little, but I did, and I only had to do one, but I think I wound up doing five. And then I, you know, so that for me was my first, I didn't even remember that, but that was like, yeah, I think I always did have this vision or this dream for myself of having my writing, my work embodied in this thing that people could pick up and flip through. And for me, books have always held such a special place. I always believed that people put the best part of themselves in books. So it would always feel like such a special moment to walk into the library or walk into the bookstore because I always felt like I was surrounded by the best parts of people. So it was so meaningful for me to be able to do this because I felt like it was me giving something, the best part of myself back to people and taking everything I've learned from, you know, building, just building confidence, going through grad school and and starting on an unconventional career and having things work out for me that built confidence it built skills it built things that I you know didn't expect I would develop and need to use in 
kind of having the audacity <laughs> to move forward and writing a book because it's kind of audacious once you get into it. Like what, you know, you, you have all kinds of imposter syndrome thinking, what were you thinking? You thought you were going to be able to <laughs> write this, this novel, but as long as you have the confidence to see it through, there's, there's so many things that come along the way that help to make, to get you to that finish line. And then even in my particular journey in my story, I wrote an unconventional book that you don't see on the shelf so often, and you don't often see a Black female protagonist centered in the way that my book does. And I had a lot of friction come, trying to go through the gatekeeper system when I first started. And I was told that my main character wasn't relatable, that they didn't like her, but then they liked the grandmother who happened to be a white character. It, it was just, you know, things oh, that, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. And thankfully, you know, I knew what I'd put into the book. I had wonderful people around me, some of my classmates from law school, my friends, fellow professionals who took the time to read my book and give me feedback. And they told me, no, this is great. And I don't finish books very often. And I finished stores. I loved it. So I had that support and I had that reinforcement in my back pocket. And it gave me the courage to do what I needed to do, which was to move forward and initially self-published. So I, I put the book out myself um, and it wound up garnering an, an incredible community and audience, which led to a traditional book deal, which is how we've gotten to where we are today, uh, which the HarperCollins edition, Harper Perennial, is coming out the 28th of September. So it, it's been an incredible journey supported by uh, classmates, colleagues, friends, family, community, everything and has leveraged absolute and utilized every experience, every bit of skill set, every bit of courage that I could muster and that I have uh, been able to amass along the way. First of all, I'm blown away by just the the quote that you just said, people put the best part, the of, best themselves part of themselves in books. books. Yes. I wrote that down I wrote right it here down. because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like that is so important to remember. Like I'm writing a book right now yeah. and I feel like I'm going to like, I'm going to write that down, put that on my wall. Like I need to see that every day. So thank you for that because that is a gem. Um, I, I love that. And I love that you focused on making, you know, your main character, like more, like you said, like it's more than just about race. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there's, first of all, there's so many black readers out there, especially like black women readers. Like, I don't understand like why, you know, like the publishing industry has not caught on to this. It's like, there's <laughs> right. lots of us and there's like, like we read a lot. There are so many blogs and reviewers and bookstagrammers and like yeah like so. exactly there's just so <laughs> many out there and you know uh, for me I definitely look for characters that are black characters that are not necessarily going through the typical things that we often get in a book that you know centers a black main character you know what I mean because I don't yeah. always want to hear those same stories same thing with television I say the same thing all the time it's like I don't want to watch another slave movie I don't want to see that story retold over and over and over again yes it's important I already know about it right. sometimes I want to be more focused on joy sometimes I want to you know just like talk about 
just other relatable things that we go through because we have, you know, huge, like complex lives. So it's exactly. like, it's not just these, like, yes, we, it, you know, we experience racism, you know, yes, you know, our ancestors experienced slavery, but it's like, there's a lot more going on in our lives and there's more to us than those topics. So I love that, like, you were like, we're not going to just stick to that and we're going to expand and make this, you know, a fully fleshed out person, you know what yes, I mean? Yes, a, a multi-layered, multi-dimensional person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the main, that's something to really highlight and focus on. I wrote a human story. Yes. It's about a human being. And this human being is living layers of experience. It, this human being happens to be a woman. This human being happens to be living the societal experience of blackness. So she's classified as a black woman. She's experiencing life as a black woman. But it's a human story. So she's learning human lessons. And so it's wonderful to have, and, and I wanted it to be particularly meaningful to center a black female protagonist. And I asked myself, okay, so what lessons universally, human lessons can this person teach us within this story? What, what does her particular perspective bring in value to humanity as a whole as she goes through this journey and story? And how is it made even more valuable because she's a woman because she's black because she's experiencing life through these lenses. And so that's how I approach the story. And I, and I, my intention, and thankfully the feedback has been (laughs) in line with that, that it should be relatable to all people, but it's, we need to have the celebration of this black female protagonist Mm -hmm. who gets to be not just the crinkly haired sidekick or things that you can observe from the outside, but really to be able to go inside and understand how these things affect her. Just for example, you see a, if you see a, a black woman with natural hair in the workplace, that's not just, okay, you know, her hair is curly or kinky or coily or whatever. It's not just a style. There was a whole journey that yes. went into that. There was mm-hmm. a whole courageous decision to, to do something in the face of what society would say is not professional you know, is going to damage her career or her, her, you know, outcomes. There was a a courageous moment that encourages universal. So to unpack that courageous decision, that moment, find the point of courage to unpack that journey. That's a story in and of itself, you know? And so I think we kind of, in a lot of times in fiction will gloss over the most important part. So with black girls must die exhausted. And with Tabitha, I wanted to unpack those, those, kind of untold journeys, the internal journeys that are as much of a quest as any adventure novel you would read of how do you get to those decisions or how do you make it through those day-to-day moments that are could be just, you know, because you're a woman, because you're a black woman, or just because life is hard, <laughs> you <Yes>. know? <laughs> and what does that look like? And 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 allow Tabitha to teach us something about ourselves. And regardless of if you're a black woman or if you're not, you're in, or male, female, we can all learn from this human being. And I tried to write it as such so that anybody could take something away from Tabitha's story and, and use it in their own life. And, and when they finish the last page of the book, walk away changed in some way. I love that. And I hope, I'm not even going to say that I hope more authors do this going forward because I feel like more are trying to, but I hope more publishers allow it, right? I hope that they allow all sorts of different types of main characters besides like just your typically like uh, white, straight, cisgendered 
um, people, right. I, I hope that they let them be complex and be full people. Because I think that it's not even that authors don't want to, it's not that they're not writing them that way, but it's really that, you know, publishers are really stifling that creativity and being like, no, we want them to be like two dimensional and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, I learned that, I learned this from the music business. So, you know, in these large industries, they're often looking backwards for indicators of what success mm, will be going yeah. forward. And with publishing, that's particularly problematic, especially when it comes to centering uh, underrepresented uh, protagonists, stories about you know complex stories, whether it's uh, sexual orientation, race, gender. You're, you're going to continually see a lot of what we've historically seen until gatekeepers and, and the industry starts to take mm -hmm. more risks. And yeah. that's what makes it so exciting to me about this book because this is a risk. And I, I mean, I have to say a big shout out to my publisher for taking this risk. It's unusual to publish a book that um, has, our, you know, been self-published, and, and that's an uncommon story. I wish that it was more common, and I hope that this book is successful enough to open doors to do more of this and to take yeah. more risk. And and that's why I'm, you know, I, I push as hard as I can with this because. You know, the industry does look for past performance as an indicator for future performance. And, you know, whether it's good or bad, what has happened before will be an indicator. And with publishing, you know, historically, it, there's a lot of underrepresentation for important stories. So there's a lot of opportunity to do something different and give us new people to learn from. I can learn from somebody's story that's completely different from mine. It depends on the writing. It depends on how you unpack that person's story and get to the human level. You know, so we can we can read almost anything. It just depends on what's put in front of us and how it's yeah. presented. So I, love I hope to see more. <laughs> yes, same. Okay, so writing a novel is incredibly challenging. I am on the struggle bus right now myself personally. So what is the was the most challenging part about writing your first novel for you? And what was the most important thing that you think you learned while writing it? I think the most important, the most difficult thing first, I'll start with that, honestly, was just believing I could do it. That was the most difficult thing. It took me years. That. I can see that. <laughs> it took me years. I really just believe. I was like, oh, no, I could not write a novel. I was like, oh, my goodness, no way. You know, and so just getting myself to the point of believing that I could write a novel was the hardest part of the whole journey for me. And so I had to I took classes. Uh, that was where I started. You know, I, I'm a big proponent of, of education and learning and, and I love learning. So I, you know, found a class that I, it seemed like it would unpack the process for me, or at least make me understand how does this magic happen? You know, what is this mystery? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you pull out, you know, hundreds of pages of, of compelling story? And, you know, when you really think about it, it's really astonishing that somebody is going to stay with you in this world for hours, eight yeah. hours, and it's yeah. just printed page words on a page. You know, so I really got focused on how to deliver a journey, like an experience. I wanted it to feel like an experience where you close the last page, you're like, "Woo, I was on a ride, you know? Yeah. So to have to learn how to do that, you know, I, I, I just really studied. And bit by bit, I started to believe 
I could do this. And part of it was just the excitement of thinking about what I wanted to deliver to readers. I just, the, the thought of this and even starting to want to read my own book, just, you know, thinking I can craft this thing that is going to make people feel this way and deliver joy and ups and downs and feelings and, you know, to realize what was possible, that really brought me into um, believing I could do it in part just because I got so excited about what it would become that it, it pulled me through. And then the second part of the question was what was, what was the most difficult the most part important thing. and the, the most yeah, important thing I learned. learned. Yeah. The most important thing I learned, uh, and it, it, it didn't really learn this, but it was confirmed for me that the reader is, is just always the most important person and just always be thinking, what is the reader experiencing now? What am I delivering now? What is, you know, because I think with writing, it's isolate. It's a process that happens in isolation. Yes. And you're mm-hmm. just, it's you and the page and you're putting words out. But if you, but you have to pull yourself out of that and put yourself in the position of the reader, you know, all the time to make sure that, because at the end of the day, writing is a collaboration. A book is a collaboration between yourself and the reader. And it's you put the the words on the page, but it doesn't come to life until the reader reads it. And what happens in their mind is the reading experience. That's your book. So what I've learned along this way in, in talking to readers and, and workshopping this book with groups of readers, I've talked to over 60 book clubs about this book around across five continents. Wow. And readers have taught me how to write. Really, that's the most important lesson about this is what happens in the reader's mind. This is what happens. This is what they feel. This is what rings about that feeling. This is how they want to experience a book. So just remembering as a writer that, yes, you're putting the words on the page. Yes, you're crafting a story. But at the end of the day, it's not real until a reader picks it up and and reads those words. And your actual book is what unfolds in that person's mind. And that's, and so to always remember that and to always be trying to check in and to understand what, what that is and how that happens and what's going to be meaningful for the reader. So that was my most important lesson. That is a good one because Mm. I, I really think that, you know, for me, like as a reader, I absolutely love to be transported somewhere completely different. And I love when all those details are filled in and you just really like can feel yourself like, oh, this is. You know, like you really feel that world building and you're like, oh, like this is, you know, that that's what makes it believable. It's like when you have that, then you can put in whatever characters. But yeah, the world building and like building that up is is incredibly important. And nowadays, you know, readers will like, you know, take your your story and then make their fan fiction and things like that on top of it. So oh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely like this this really more vocal relationship now between readers and authors more so than ever before. Like I follow my favorite authors on Twitter and stuff like that. So it's just, it's a very different relationship, I think, than it used to be like 10, 20, 30 years ago, you know? It absolutely is. It's it's more and more of a collaboration. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to see things take their own life in the, in a, in a reader's world or in their mind. And I remember one of the, the most harrowing, I met with a book club. I had no idea, you know, the, who everyone was. It was a group of women. And then I found out that they were all psychologists. Oh, wow. And I was like, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was like, oh my gosh, if I had known this, maybe I would have skipped this one. But I was so, I was like, oh, I was so worried. But to hear them analyze my characters from that perspective, I was like, this is the real final exam for, yes. you know, for my yeah. characters and the world that they're living in. But to, ha- to have them analyze them and to talk about them as if they were real people, it just, it really was encouraging for me to know that, that the characters and the story can hold up at that level. Yeah. But to hear it, you know, in, in different groups of readers, you know, over and over again, where they're, they're definitely, you know, grabbing hold of details and, and casting the movie and, you know, it, it yes. has its old life. So that's what I love doing. <laughs> I love doing dream castings on Twitter. That's so fun. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been an amazing experience and it's really been this, this second life, third life with readers. Once your book is out there and once readers have it and they've made it their own, it just becomes this, this whole community and, and universe of something more, uh, that's that's so enjoyable and and encouraging and enriching, and and also readers will be vocal. They'll let you know what they what they like, what they don't like, what they want, you know, in the you know future books, and and you have to decide as a as an artist, you know, how you're going to embody that. But it's it's a lot of fun to to be in in those waters and and to interact with everybody. Yeah, I love it for sure. I definitely as a, I I write thinking that someday it'll be published but knowing that i do not even have the goals or send it to a friend um so i'm like forty-seven thousand words into a thing and i'm like the journey is fun question mark you know like i'm trying to think it's so funny it's like i i think about like if this was po- like if i get hit by a bus tomorrow and somebody finds it and publish it is it gonna be a good thing for the, the readers to enjoy so i definitely that's been my 2020 2021 journey as a writer like you said like learning that it's a collaboration it's something that you have to go on with the readers as well and it's Aww, fun if to you hear get your hit experience. by a bus i'll find it and i'll publish it and i'll finish it for you Oh, <laughs> I'll get in your mindset so it won't be like a super like happy bubbly, you know? No, it's very funny because most of them are very happy. I'm what? Happy oh my god, Angelica! Now I have to read these because that's shocking. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> you have to come with Jane. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, what was that process like for you? Because you really untraditionally got published. Like you self-published first. And then the publishers were like, oh, hey, hold up. This is actually fire. Let's put this in our, you know, put this in our catalog. So please talk to us a little bit about what that journey was like. Sure. This So this part of the journey was, it, it was actually, um, I, I want people to know about this and hear it because I think that there is lessons for others. And I want to definitely use my journey and what it has been to encourage other people to know that no, no that you receive is a final uh, judgment or the final answer for anything. So when I first wrote the book uh, and finished my manuscript, I gave it to people I trust, including my dad. And my dad read it, which he doesn't finish books either. <laughs> he's, a, he's very busy and, and it's, it wasn't his genre, but he, was, he, he read it. I was shocked. And he, he came back to me and said, you know what? This is too good to just do nothing with, you know, or or just put it out and and see what happens. You need to try to approach traditional publishing and and you know really get some support behind this. So I took that to heart and I approached uh, twelve. I sent twelve letters and I was gonna, I gave myself six weeks or gave that whole process six weeks, twelve letters. I found 
agents that seemed like they would publish similar things would be interested in this. I wrote my letters, you know, I, I tried to break down, you know, look, here's my vision for this. Here's my marketing plan. You know, here's who I think is a, there's an underserved audience here. And I think that this is something unique that the market is ready for, but hasn't, hasn't gotten. And, oh my goodness, it was, it was a terrible experience. <laughs> I got, I mean, it was, sometimes it was just no response. And then it was, mm-hmm. you know, people, like I said, coming back with, well, we don't think she's relatable. I can't connect to this material. I can't connect to her. And I'm like, well, I don't understand this. Tabitha Walker is, she's a black woman, yes, but she's a television reporter. She's, you know, kind of, I can name 12 people I know like this, you know, of, of any race. And she just happens to be black. And why do you feel like you can't connect to her? And yes, she's not a traditional black protagonist as you would you know, expect or have seen in the past, but she's a modern day contemporary woman and, and so and representative of, of so many women. So, you know, that was just shocking to me and it just didn't, I couldn't accept that. So what I decided was the only way that that wouldn't be the last word was if I put it to the market who I believed in. I just believed that the market was ready for this and I believed in readers. And I, I guess I had more faith in readers than the people yeah, I originally yeah. approached. And you should. <laughs> I, I just knew, I just knew that uh, there was a market for this and, and beyond, not just black women. I, I knew that white women, Asian women, Hispanic women, women, non-binary, it, any human being could connect to the humanity of this person. I just believe that. And just because the title is has black in it or black girls must die exhausted, I believe that people could could move past the societal programming, you know, that that would say, yeah. you know, that separates us. And and so to make to to test my theory, I put it out in the market. And thankfully readers showed up for this book in incredible numbers, especially for self-published book. And through the pandemic, I decided that, you know, we're all at home. (laughs) I can't go anywhere. You know, so there was no place I'd rather be than sitting in virtually with groups of readers and making myself available to unpack this book. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of issues that Tabitha deals with from you know, imposter syndrome, workplace dynamics, you know, being a contemporary woman, relationships, infertility, race. There's just so, and, and it was such an important time, especially in 2020, post-George Floyd, to be able to unpack a lot of the things that were coming up in the conversations around race and different levels and layers. So I decided in my service, I would make myself available. And I, I put that out there. I said, any book club, if you are reading my book, you want me to come to your book club? I don't care if it's two people or 200, I will show up. And that led to 60 book clubs, 60 plus book clubs across five continents. I was all over the world <laughs> meeting with readers. And in one of the book clubs, um, Ashley Bernardi was, is her book club is a Black Lives Matter book club. And it was, it was, there were no black women in that book club. And they read my book. We had a great discussion. And she asked me, well, what do you want? to happen next. And I, by that time, I really realized, okay, I had really exhausted my resources and my ability to push this book further. And I felt like there were more people that 
would want to have it if they knew about it, if they had access to it, and we needed to go to a next the next level. So I just said, you know, I was like, I just really want a traditional publisher now. <laughs> you know, I've done as much as I can on my own. And so um, so she introduced me to my agent, Lucinda Halpern. And Lucinda literally wrote me back the very next day. She set up a meeting with me and she said, I get it. I told her my story. She's like, I get it. I get you. She's like, I can't make any promises because this is an unusual, it would be unusual for a publisher to pick up a book that's been self-published that, you know, but, but I'm going to see what I can do because I, I believe in you. I believe in this. I get it. And weeks later, we had a four book deal from Harper Perennial. For the Black Girls trilogy plus another book. So it it was really the power of community. And and since then I've talked to the my publisher and I was like, you know, what what brought you what made you brought you over the the hump with this? You know, and they're like, we just saw the community and it was undeniable. That's awesome. And so yes, it was it's it definitely was the power of community. And I think the other thing to to note from this story is that we are so much more powerful than we realize as a community. This, this is really the work of a community of people. And it, and the, the evidence is there, you know, people use their voices, people posted left reviews, all of that matters. Yeah. That's what an amazing and genius way to spend quarantine. Like, <laughs> first of all, like it just sounds fun, right? It was um, fun. It was but really But it's fun. also like, again, it speaks to like you having your background that has, you know, that marketing and branding experience in it because that's just brilliant. Like, like you said, everybody's home anyways. Like you can speak to people all over the world. Like it just shows that like really whatever you've done in your career can build onto the next thing. Cause I don't think that everyone would have seen that opportunity. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't think everyone would have been like, oh yeah, this would be a great time to do this. But obviously like that really changed the game and, and made it so that so many people were able to access your book. Um, And yeah, I mean, again, and then at that point, the numbers speak for themselves, right? So it's like, (laughs) you have all these people that are enjoying it and it's, you know, yeah, a publisher is going to be paying attention to that. So that's just brilliant. That is a genius idea. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was, I can't take any credit for it other than just following through on an idea that, that came to me. And, you know, I I think we don't give ourselves enough credit sometimes when we get great ideas or we get ideas and they seem a little bit, you know, a little bit beyond a little bit of a stretch, we will discount and discredit ourselves. But thankfully, for whatever reason with this, and maybe because I just believed so passionately in my book, and I just loved it's so much. And I, and I loved connecting with readers for whatever reason, I just happened to follow through on that, that idea. But, you know, so many times I think we do sit on our best ideas and just, (laughs) and don't follow through on them. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that this was one that, that I was able to honor and, and show up for So I want to talk a little bit about your main character, Tabitha Walker. So she has this reproductive health issue and it's threatening her ability to have a biological family, which I must say, I know so many women who have their, um, they're going through their infertility journeys right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that people are starting to share it a little bit more here and there. You know, I have some friends that I know about it only because they've shared it with like me and close friends and other people that may have actually shared it on social, but it's, I don't think that people understand how common it is. 
Um, and I've heard women say just like the most heartbreaking things about like feeling like they're broken or feeling like they can't do what every other woman can do, which is not, that's not the case. Not every woman can just do this. Right. Right. Um, so why do you think it's important to discuss and normalize infertility and just discuss reproductive health in general? Well, it's so, so important because number one, this is a field where information is power. And every, every procedure, every doctor, every, you know, avenue, it's not all equal. You know, there's, it's an evolving field and having the information, knowing, you know, what questions you should ask your doctor, knowing, you know, what has worked for some people, but not worked for others um, is so powerful. And time is of the essence a lot of times when you're in this kinds of spaces and as I've seen, women sharing information with each other or even just discussing it for support and normalizing it opens the doors to so many more options. And if it's just sometimes it's like if you had known this, you could have done, you know, X, Y, and Z. And while the door was still open for those options for yourself. So I just think having options is, is so, so important. Having, And that stems from having information and support. And so people are, so many women are suffering in silence, you know, not realizing that there's a community of people. They do feel like, oh, they feel like they're broken. They feel like, you know, this should be a, a given. And it's not. But there are resources and there's support and there's a community and you're not alone. There's so many people. So I just, I, I've never really seen this story in fiction. I know when I was going through my journey, I was looking for any resource, anybody talking about this, any bit of information. And I had the hardest time finding stories, finding resources, finding, you know, just anything in fiction or nonfiction. I think maybe there were like two or three books and that was it. And I thought that's crazy. And I didn't see any fictional stories about this. And especially not as pertaining, having a, a black female in the center of this. And so I thought, you know what, if I'm going to write something, I want it to be important and I want it to be meaningful and I wanted to, to deliver something and do something. So I, I thought it was important to center this issue. Um, and for me in particular, I have had my own journey and I'm in my forties, my early forties. And I wish that somebody had given me this in my thirties. I wish that this was there. So I just, like I said, people put their be the best part of themselves in books. So yeah. I did that. I, I, I gave what I wish I had in my That's 30s. Amazing. I love yeah. that. And I, I feel like so, like, I'm very open about the fact that I'm pretty sure I don't want to have a biological child. Like, I've wanted to adopt children since I was about 11 years old. I'm just mm -hmm. a very, like, I just knew when I was 11, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm only going to adopt. I've been like, open to maybe one biological child at the most but I'm like the like I'm 34 now and like the older I get the more I'm like eh, I don't really love that idea and my husband is like way more for adoption as well so like I think we'll go that route yeah but I have a lot of friends who like I said have struggled with their infertility and it's like I feel like almost guilty <laughs> for you know being in a position of being just like, okay, well, I, I could, you know, from what I understand, have a child, but I don't really want one. And I never know what to say, right? Just besides like mm -hmm. being there and listening. And for me, like when I, when I was reading the breakdown of this book, I literally bought multiple copies because I was like, I'm just going to give this to them as like something like, I don't have the words for them, but this is going to be the words for them to like, 
be able to get through that and while also like being able to relate to this character and you know hear this story and know that like like you said like you're not alone it's very common like let's let's open up the dialogue about it let's have a conversation about it so that's what makes me so excited about it is it's like it's something that really like even if you don't even if you don't know from experience personally, like if you haven't personally had issues with infertility, you 100% know someone who has. I literally know like 10 people who have, yes. right? It's very common. I would say half of the women in my life have had some sort of um, issues with reproductive health in general. Um, yes. So it's extremely common. So, you know, I love that you've just made it, you know, a part of the story. You know what I yeah, mean? It's like just it's, a part of the story. It's just a part of, of her journey. And it, yeah. it doesn't define her. Exactly. And it's it's just one of the layers that she's experiencing. And she we get to travel along with her. She figures out her way of navigating it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so way, many ways to navigate it as well. And I think that's what, you know, like you were saying, like a lot of people don't really realize that. And so I love that, you know, that's, I think that's one of the best things you can do is like, say like, okay, what would have younger me needed to know and, and making sure that people have that information. Right. And I think it's just so important even just to put the topic in front of people. And that's what I've been encountering and learning that just, just the topic itself, you know, regardless of how, uh, Tabitha, you know, takes her journey through this, just the fact that it's being centered, just the fact that it's being presented, just the fact that it's being aired and discussed has opened the door to so many people. And I've witnessed it in some settings saying for the first time, Hey, Hey, I'm dealing with this. I, I've never told anybody, but I'm, I'm dealing with this. And just that moment, you know, I, I was having a conversation with my neighbor who I had no idea. She, she, she didn't know I was a writer. I didn't know about her infertility journey, but she asked me about my book came up. I told her about my book and she said, oh my gosh, I haven't even told a lot of my friends because I don't know what to say and I don't want to make it awkward between us, but I'm going through this. And so if, if that can just open the door just by putting the topic out there and saying, hey, this exists. And yes, it's 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 significant enough that you can have it as part of a book, <laughs> you know, that it can be part of a story. And there's enough people in the world that this speaks to that this is relevant. And so I hope it starts more conversations because we, we need to have those. It's it's a part of life and there's options and there's there's support and there's so many things available to to people uh, in this journey. From every perspective, whether you want to have kids, whether you don't want to have kids, whether you want to have kids in traditional or untraditional ways, we just need to start talking about this more. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just being educated, like Charisma said, I think if even if you don't identify with having that issue or understanding, like having something as a gift or just something to open the conversation and say, hey, I see you. Right. Yes. This is this book is yeah. this thing. And that's how I feel about um, Anna Wang, who owns Cozy Warrior Socks, literally just makes socks and pajamas for people who are going through ivf ivf issues that have so phrases like you got this girl etc and i'm like anytime my my friends are kind of past this point <laughs> that i know of but if anyone comes to me with that issue like i can i know what i can do i can go to these yeah. places these spaces and get these items for them create a bag and be like hey i see you you don't have to talk to me about it but I right see you and i want you to, to get through this uh, journey so just thank you for sharing that and having that be a part of your the story and, and creating those conversations I, and speaking of tapatha being an amazing character where do you find inspiration for your characters because i feel like i find 
inspiration outside of people I know. So I'm very interested in knowing, like, are these based on people you've known or met or whomever? Like, let us know a little bit into your journey and finding inspiration for your characters. Well, the my characters come from the world as I experience it. I say that it's it's uh, little figments of reality sewn in um, because I, I really want my characters to have a real world texture to them where if you were in a room hypothetically with one of my characters um, that you would know who it was, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's really important for me to put the, the texture of a real world, real life, real people, um, not necessarily people that I'm close to or know, but just, I'm an observer. I'm a natural observer. I'm the person that if I'm on the plane, the person next to me is definitely going to talk to me <laughs> the whole time, like more or less. And when I, when I realized that, that that I was that person and that was going to happen to me all the time, I started paying attention because people have amazing stories. There's someone, something to learn from every person you encounter. And realizing that, I just started slowing down, paying attention, taking the time, and it's really led to me developing, I guess, my mental scrapbook of, you know, I have these little pieces of people. And so I'm able to sew that into my stories and my characters and kind of honor them in that way and, and honor my journey and, and what life has shown me and, and revealed to me and for me and taught me. So there are figments of reality sewn into all of my characters and all of these experiences. And I want it to feel like, I want my books to feel like you had a real life experience, even though it's completely fiction. Like it's not memoir, it's made up. None of these people exist, but you, when you read it, you feel like they do and that this could have happened. I love that. Do you have resting nice face? Because <laughs> I do. <laughs> So well, like I, I do completely. Maybe that's what it that. is. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. Like I'll be at a coffee shop minding my business, and somebody will come up and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, what? Go ahead and watch my laptop. I'm gonna head out." And I'm like, I'm, "Wait, I'm looking around. Like, are you talking to me?" I'm not gonna be like watching like my face looks like, and, and people do that to me as well. So I think it's also something about like, and I hate to use like, but the black mammy stereotype, which people talk about, right? Or you know, creatives have been talking, is just that people find black women sometimes like comforting. So like either we're like, yeah, like going we to can steal like everything in your car or something. Like, yeah, I don't or know. We can watch everything. Like, we can watch your baby. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the in between. Oh my is. gosh! Either I'm gonna yeah. steal your car, watch your baby. Please pick a struggle. I don't want to be in the position of you locking your door six times because I'm going to Publix, or me like holding your life and like your everything that you own in your hands. Yes, you I've actually pie. I held multiple babies who like I don't know and I, like if I go oh, to a wow. party and there's a baby like most likely the baby will find its way to me and then like sleep in my arms that's happened multiple times and it's been like obviously like we like we're at a party for somebody who we both know but I still find that to be like I probably wouldn't have my baby sleeping in like someone else's arms who <laughs> I don't I just met but I mean, I don't mind it because I love children. So I'm like, yeah, I'll hold your baby. And like, then the baby, like the baby will fall asleep with me and I'll be like, yeah, I'll just keep holding them. It's whatever. Yeah. They're um, like free, they're like free health, free, free childcare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take it where I can get it probably. So. And it's funny because it's like my husband's the same way with dogs. Like Pete, like dogs will find him, like dog owners will find him. So 
Yeah. I'm like, I think that that's just like resting nice face. That's what I call I love that. that term. I'm going to take that. I'm writing that down. Resting nice face. I never heard that before. I'm attributing it to and you. People just like, like people will talk to you like in the elevator yes. or just like wherever. And you're like, oh, oh, you're, and I'm so like introverted. So like, I'll never start the conversation, <laughs> but I'll definitely like have a conversation with them. But it's always just so interesting to me. that It'll be like, hello, hello. And then they just start, start telling you like all sorts of information. You're just like, whoa. Everything. I, yeah. But it, yeah. So I, now I know what this is. It must be that yep. I have resting nice face. Yeah. <laughs> and you do. Cause I've seen you. So you do. I can, I could definitely see it. Like if I saw you, like I would like, cause again, I'm introverted, but I would like nod at you, which is like the most that I put. Forward. Right. I'd be like, look at her. Like we look like we have a lot in common. I'm going to nod and smile. Like that's like the most I do. But yeah, people will come to me and be like, let me tell you everything about me. And I'm just like, whoa, that's a lot of information. Uh, yeah. No, I, I love that. I, I am a, I think I, people do not believe this, but I'm an introvert also. Nobody believes that that knows me, but it's true. And so I always do the smile and nod. And then that definitely leads to more yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So. And my no, mom no is one way. of those people, she can like walk up to anybody and just like have a conversation. Like as a child, I would hate going to the grocery store because she would literally talk to like every single person, like <laughs> get into like a huge conversation with everybody. And I think that because of that, I feel like, oh, I definitely need to at least like smile and nod at everyone because like I feel like rude if I'm not like mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. So it's a part of it is that. But yeah, she can just talk to anybody. And I'm like, okay, like, let's go. Like, this is awkward. <laughs> yeah, I, I swear. It's just she's the op like the opposite of me. She's a complete extrovert. And I'm a complete introvert. So I understand like, when people think you're not introverted when you are because I don't think that a lot of people don't necessarily think that about me. But I'm like, I'm extremely introverted. Like if I go do something, then I need like a week off to right? recover from like doing that thing. I can be on at the thing. I can talk to everyone, you know, like I understand because you're like, yeah, I just went to all of these different, you know, I, I jumped into all these different groups with all over the world and talked to all these people. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm sure that afterwards you were like, oh, yeah, okay, now I'm not going to talk to anybody for like the rest of the day for sure. Oh, pretty much. Yeah. So it would, I would, sometimes I would have, if I had two in a day, oh. then that was, I was just sidelined. Yeah. I'd have to just lay out flat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and recharge. You. I'm like, okay, I need to recharge. That's honestly why I'm an entrepreneur because then I can just schedule like two meetings tops a day and I can do them from over the phone. Like right. all the design of like my life is just because I'm like, let me just be away away from everyone right Um, speaking of which so as black women we are truly exhausted this is before the pandemic like we've been exhausted okay because we're we're doing all the things and this world is a lot so when you're black woman it's just a lot so I try to combat that with a lot of self-care so what are some of your favorite ways to practice self-care besides reading because I think all three of us probably love doing that I I absolutely love reading Uh, I Definitely take time for myself. I think one of my biggest self-care indulgences is taking time for myself. So I will take a weekend and just get centered and just take the time to listen to myself, to dial into what I'm thinking, feeling, what I want, you know, all of that and get re-centered and yeah, so I will, I will make the space for myself. So sometimes that means I, I can't. Um, see people. I can't, you know, go to this event. I can't do that because I'm doing this for myself. I have a, a, a scheduled weekend with myself, and that's that's my biggest 
thing. The other is I'm, I'm really into skincare. So I, I take care of myself. Uh, I, I love finding new products for my hair um, and just, you know, optimizing my vessel. So my skin, my hair, my health, I'm, if, I, if you have new vitamins that work that you recommend, I probably will try them. <laughs> I am Love all it. about that. Somebody told me about chlorophyll drops in the elevator yesterday, back to what we were talking about. Yes. In random conversation, I will probably order those and just try it out. So that's another one of my self-care. Um, and then also spending time with friends. I have scheduled time every week for people close to me in my life. We have appointments and we keep those appointments. So I know who I'm going to see on Friday. I know who I'm going to see on Thursday. You know, so I have set appointments for maybe an hour, two hours every week to connect with people in my life. And that's important to me. So those are my slots, I call them. So um, so th that's kind of my, my core self-care, you know, keeping people that are close to me close and, and nurturing those relationships, nurturing myself, both the physical self and the internal self. I love that appointment idea. I might have to steal that. <laughs> yeah, take the slots idea. I, I, when I tell people that, they're like, first they have this like puzzled look on their face, like you have slots for people. I'm like, yes. That makes have... complete sense yeah. for me because like even like, you know, I don't know, like uh, anything social can be like overwhelming to me. So the idea that I would know it's coming up is yep. always great. And then, yeah, like knowing that it's like scheduled in and it's only going to be a certain amount of time. It's like, that would be really good. And I feel like it wouldn't like deplete my energy. So that, yeah. that sounds awesome. Yeah, that's brilliant. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to text everybody today. Sign up for your slot. <laughs> Here's your slot. Here's your slot. Well, it's a really, it's really important. I mean, the slots are sacred. No. I mean, so it's yeah. a, it's a mutual agreement. I'm like, okay, I'm giving you this slot. Like this is a part of my life, a part of myself I'm carving out for you. So you, if you honor it, you get to keep it and I will honor it and, you know, vice versa. So it's, it's honoring, they're giving me a part of their life with this slot and I'm giving them a part. So even if we have conflicts that come up, we, you know, the, the slot is sacred. So it gets rescheduled. We have to come to an agreement about how, how the slot is going to, you know, be adjusted. So it's, it's really been a, it's been one of the best things that this happened during the pandemic because it became so difficult to stay connected to people. And yeah. so, and especially as we came out of quarantine, you know, it just, it was, especially for introverts, I'm sure, to get readjusted and to get yeah. back in person. So the slots started coming about. And so it's, it's just been one of the best things and it's really deepened my relationships with um, close people. Yeah, I co-sign that. That is definitely the way I connect with human beings. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. is, is through the By appointment. Of, like, scheduling an appointment. <laughs> right. And I I'll double co-sign. Like, I, obviously, during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, we're still in it. Uh, yeah. It definitely was, like, shut down because a lot of my friends who I do have the slots with do have kids. And so mm -hmm. we're living in different areas, different schools, et cetera. So now that we're trying to, like, refigure back out, we're slowly adding in the slots. It's definitely like every now, yes. two to three weeks. Right. But they're slowly making their way in because it is an adjustment period being an introvert and having to like come back together and get to that social group. And you when you oh, do it, you're like, lot. oh, I missed you guys so much. I'm I know. Like, I'm so glad we're together. So uh, definitely hear you there. 
Um, so what advice do you have to give to aspiring entrepreneurs who are full of ideas, but are not sure of what steps to take first? Because I think that's most of us, especially creatives, we are, we are guilty of having no, multiple notebooks and sketchbooks, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I, I am in that same boat. This is for me. I have all these ideas. So me, it's so frustrating too. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh. I, and then I see somebody doing like one of my ideas and I'm like, oh, I wish I had done that. Um, I just moved on it. I keep a running list of everything I want to do, but I keep them and it, it does allow me to keep the main thing, the main thing. So I, I, I really use a lot of lists and goals and targets so that I'm just clear. And I feel like whatever I'm doing is making progress and it becomes easier to see how the other things will fit in in their own timing along this way. So it starts to feel more like an integrated journey. Not like if I'm doing this one thing, then I'm not doing the other things. No, I'm still doing those other things. Just this thing is the important thing to do now. And it's going to set me up to do these other things more easily. I'm not going to have to reinvent the wheel or, you know, start whatever from scratch. I'll have built a foundation for my next thing in the process of doing this thing. So I, I try to keep a list of everything. I write everything down, all my ideas. I, I definitely honor them, but I keep the focus on what I'm executing now. And as my journey has unfolded, I can say this from this vantage point, it does all play into the things that you've done before do play into the things that you want to do. So sometimes it's just necessary to take this step and focus on this thing right now because it's setting you up or teaching you what you need to know for that idea that's incubating. So I would that's what I that would be my advice to write your ideas down, honor them, but what you're working on now, don't get frustrated and, and abandon it. It's probably teaching you what you need to know and setting you up for these next things to come. I love that because I get so excited about like the next five things. So right. I've been trying to get better about that. Like just like write it down, let it live there in the notebook. It's not going anywhere and you can come back to it when you're done doing the thing that mm -hmm. you're doing now, especially like when you're, you know, a, a creative that's doing multiple things and it's like, you don't want to limit yourself, but then you're also like, I don't need to be overwhelmed. I don't need to do everything at the exact same time. Like you can be somebody who does all these things, but you're not going to do them in the exact same moment. So it's like, take a breath write it in the notebook, come back to it later. Exactly. I love that. So your career is like you being an author, like that is my, like, that's my dream. That's my dream career. <laughs> Just that part. But you have such this like layered career that I wish we had like hours to talk to you all day because <laughs> your career is just so interesting. There's so many layers to it. Like I definitely think all of our listeners should just go like check you out, Google you and like look at all the things. It's awesome. But I like you've worked with Prince. So yeah. that like <laughs> automatically makes you the coolest person we've ever had in the podcast. Sorry to everybody true. else, but you like have worked with Prince. Like I'm like, they will all agree. Like, no, no one can touch that. So I'm like, I like, I'm like, I couldn't, I know this is about your book, but I was like, we have to like ask a question about Prince because that's just, I, I just have to like, that's just, oh my sure. God, he's the purple one. So yeah. what did you learn from him about being a true artist? Oh my gosh. That's the perfect question to ask me about this because I, in my time with him, I thought about this a lot. What was my biggest lesson and takeaway? And you know, we had, I, I had the great fortune to have many conversations with him and he would be pushing me, you know, for something. And I never really understood 
until later. I didn't, when I worked with him, I had no idea that I was going to write this book. I had no idea the courage that it was going to take or the journey that it was going to take me on. So I didn't know. It was almost like he saw it in advance or something. Mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> sure he did. Some of the conversations that we had, I was like, what is this about? You know, and um, because I was working with him in the context, first I started out as a lawyer and then moved more into the business and management side. So I had a defined business role with him, but a lot of our conversations would be about being an artist. And I was like, why is he talking to me about this? He would ask me, you know, what do you want to do? You want to do music? Do you want... I'm like, why are you asking me this? You know, so it was it was so confusing. But going through that journey with him, he he would tell me, you're stronger than you think you are. And he would just always say that. And he would say, he would talk to me about ownership of my art. And I think the biggest takeaway as an artist to think about is that you always need to know what part of you you own versus what part of you is owned by others. And you always have to make sure that that balance is one that you can live with. And that keeps you free. That you know that there's a part of you that's owned by others and there's a part of you that you own. And the part of you that you own is always going to be the stronger part. And it always should be the stronger part. You should always feel that that part is the stronger part. And that will keep you free. And freedom is one of the most important things um, to have as an artist. Wow. Oh, I love that. That I, is please. absolutely amazing. <laughs> that was so good. Oh, I know. That's that's amazing. And I love that you're like, you feel like he knew before you. Like he was like, no, let's talk about, like we're going to continue talking about you being an artist. Um, yeah. I just love that. Because I feel like there's so many stories of him like, propelling people forward and moving people forward on their artistic journey and I just love that like you know that that just continues to ring true like those stories continue to come out which is so amazing so it was a generosity of spirit he was an amazing mentor um and challenge difficult you know he's definitely pushing me and I at the time I did not understand that and it took me you know I, I spent a lot of time unpacking that and thinking you know, why me? And why did I get time with this icon, with this person? I mean, you know, and, and why did he invest that time in me? And what did he see? And what was that for? And what do I owe? You know, it, it's, I had to, it was heavy. And I spent a lot of time really thinking about it. And I had no idea, you know, what, what would come of it. But I, you know, I hope that this journey would, you know, make him proud in, in some respect. And, and hopefully it, it does some honor, pay some honor to, you know, the time that he invested with me. So he, he was definitely an, an incredible human being and, and spirit to just encounter. Yeah. And getting a, you know, a four, a four book deal, like that's, <laughs> you know, that, that's, was that's, he wrong? No. that's something exactly <laughs> like that's really, really something. So, you know, that's especially the way that you went about it. The journey you went about it is just so interesting to self-publish. I mean, it's like, again, it's like these things are unheard of. So it's just so awesome to see. And I love that you've used, you've literally used everything that you have to birth these books. And I absolutely love that because I just think that it's a reminder to everybody that it's like, okay, if you're not doing what your dream thing is, or if you still have that, maybe you love what you do, but you have that childhood dream that you left on the shelf and you want to revisit it. It's like, everything that you've learned from, you know, the go till now, like that can be 
helping you on your journey to creating that childhood dream and making it come true. So, you know, just because you, you put it down for a while doesn't mean you can't pick it back up. So I am just like so excited for our listeners to read this book. Um, I hope that we we can have you on again. We're actually, I'm starting a book podcast is going to be kind of like a book club. So hopefully we can have you on again and just really dive into the book because I know we've done so much of the business stuff today. Um, But I know that so like, like our listeners are awesome people. I know they're going to relate to, you know, Tabitha. And I think it's just such a gift that you've given us this character that so many people can relate to. So many people have a friend that's just like this, a best friend, a sister, you know, like she's just someone that we can all relate to. And I just really, really love that for, for everybody, but especially for black girls, you know? Yeah. Thank I haven't you. read the book and honestly, she's my cousin now. Yeah, I, exactly. I'm it now. <laughs> You're like, we're related. I'm about my cousin Tab. <laughs> yeah, girl, cousin Tab, honey. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jean, for being with us today and sharing all of your amazing knowledge with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great conversation.